0: So you preached this week. After I did. I took a week I,
1: off. Back in the pulpit. Okay. Whether they liked it or not. Yeah. Uh, so Galatians four eight through eleven this week. So just just a couple okay. of verses. We are uh, making our way through Galatians four, trying to get to that to me uh, incredibly important verse, Galatians four nineteen. And so um, in the text this week, Paul is kind of rebuking and admonishing at the same time, the Galatians, and he, he's saying, you know, God, so, so basically my integrating thought, the kind of the uh, the sentence that ties the movements together uh, is uh, three ways God works in the lives of his people, and so this was the argument that Paul was making, three ways God works in the lives of his people, and in verse 8, he's, he's basically saying, God set you free. Um, you, at one point, so, and there's, there's a couple of different contrasting conjunctions in there. So you have to go back and you have to look at what he said in the previous verses to see where he's going in the next verses. So once, once you kind of understand that context, he's saying, so you have been made sons and if sons heirs, but there was a time when you weren't, there was a time when you were slaves and he has, basically I'm summarizing this. And, and he sets you free from that. And so we, we talked about that because the way he says that is actually pretty awesome. Because the the language that he uses is he's comparing God to things which are not by their nature gods, and so he's saying you were enslaved to these things, which are not by their nature god, and so as I was thinking through that, and then he he comes back into the language that he had used in the previous weeks of elements, and so the scholars debate, well, what exactly is he talking about when he's talking about these elements? Well, I think from the context, it, it makes perfect sense that the things that he's talking about is these Judaizers have come into Galatia, and they're trying to prop up you know, those three major uh, fence posts of Jewish culture and religion of circumcision and dietary restrictions and Sabbath laws, you know, and and there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on circumcision in Galatians. Um, And and so they're trying to prop those three things up. And so to me, it makes sense that those three things are the elements uh, that he's telling them not to become enslaved to. And he's comparing that to what the Galatians had been enslaved to previously which was, you know, they're pagan religions. And so basically what he's saying is he's, he's saying you can take these, these religious rituals that God had prescribed to other people, rip them out of their context, and make them idols that replace God in your life. Um, and so, you know, for Baptists, that'll preach, whether we know it'll preach or not, because, you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves on being non-liturgical. But every Baptist you've ever been in has a liturgy, you know, when to stand, you know, when to sit, you know, when you're going to pray, you know, when you're going to read the scripture, you know, all those things. And so um, so we talked about, you know, God setting us free from things. So that's the first thing God sets free. Um, and, and then the second um, the second work that God does in the lives of his people is not only does God set free, but then God moves forward because there's a lot of language that Paul uses that contrasts where they are to the past. And he says, and so, are you wanting to go back to that? Are are you wanting to go back to that? And so then, you know, that that gives us a question. Well, can a believer go backwards? Because Paul's saying you you can, and so you got to unwrap that a little bit. And, and I think ultimately that that is what he's saying. He's like, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to trust God to move you forward in your faith, or are you going to go backwards, back to where you come from? And I mean. Again, as I was preparing, I was thinking about your sermon series in Exodus, you know, about how the people, um, you know, almost the second Egypt is behind them, they're already talking about, oh, why'd you bring out here into this this desert to die? Why can't we go back, you know? And one of the most curious things to me in the world is how they're longing for those cucumbers from Egypt. I'm like, guys, I don't even like cucumbers now. It's just the weirdest thing. Um, And so absolutely, believers can look back. And so then that moved us into the, the third movement, which is not only does God set free and God moves forward, but God joins together. And so Paul, in that last verse, in verse 11, he's basically saying that um, he's he has a fear for them. And I really highlighted those prepositional phrases. I am afraid for you that my work for you has been wasted. And so I talked about, you know, how Paul isn't just someone who's shouting at them from afar. Paul is someone who's invested in them from the beginning um, and that, you know, he has done all of these things. He has a concern for these people and he has worked for the betterment, for the benefit of these people. And we talked about the importance of church and how, uh, you know, how that uh, that's still there today. I mean, we don't have a Paul necessarily, but there are people in our lives that. Uh, that we need to be concerned for and they need to be concerned for us and we need to be actively investing in their spiritual growth and we need them to be actively investing in our spiritual growth. And those are things that really fly in the face of a lot of uh, modern American uh, evangelicalism where we feel like, you know, I always liken it to being John Wayne Rambo, you know, we're the independent, I don't need anybody, I can do this by myself and, you know, those sorts of things. But that's not the picture that we get from Scripture, because the picture we get from Scripture is that, you know, not only does God say if he puts it in the positive, you'll, they'll know you're Christians by your love. So in order to truly give a testimony of your Christian faith, you have to be around other people that you love sacrificially and, and all that. But then he also he, He's he's going to encourage them, you know, to bear one another's burdens because we each have these burdens that we need help bearing. And so we need, we need to positively, we need to be around other people to demonstrate love, to compassion, concern, care. But at the same time, we need to receive those things from them, too. And then the whole con- concept of his, his fear for them, that his labor for them, has been wasted. Scholars, actually, when I was studying that, there are two main uh, tracks of thought that go down. One is that he's afraid that these believers will not mature because one of the major themes of the book of Galatians is maturing in your faith, uh, that you're, you know, you go back to that concept of the law was the, you know, baby, the babysitter, the guardian, but in Christ that's matured and you're no longer a kid. Now you're an adult at the adult table and you're a fully uh, recognized legal heir of Christ in Christ um and so there's that that concept of maturity that he's constantly following back on so some scholars say well he's afraid that these these legitimate honest authentic Christians won't mature and then others say that they kind of take it that he's concerned that his uh his labor for them has has been wasted because maybe they initially received the gospel but they didn't really root in the gospel and maybe that seed has been taken away, been snatched away from them. So nobody I really read was was concerned that he's talking about them losing salvation as much as this possibly being evidence that they had never fully received salvation. Personally, I took the first meaning, although both could apply, both, both could be there. I think just in the context and, you know, as you interpret scripture, uh, You want to make sure that you're in the context of that original author, because Paul, especially he's building an argument and he's been building this argument now for a couple of chapters. I mean, he's going there. And so it it doesn't make any sense to take this one little prepositional phrase out of the flow of his context and make it mean something else. So I think he's obviously talking about maturity and growing in their faith and moving forward. Um, And so that was the challenge this week. The challenge was, you know, are we. Uh, are we trying to go backwards? Do we see places in our lives where we're trying to uh, create idols out of good things, but they can never really be God because they aren't God by their nature? And some of the things we talked about, you know, you, you look at, the, you know, just the state of our world, you know, politics. There's so many people that are wrapped up in politics. Um, social media, you know, and social media, I'm not, a, I'm not a person that, you know, demonizes social media. I think it can be a useful tool. You know, I use it to keep up with my, you know, my sister and her family. I get to see all the pictures and stuff. That's a positive thing. I get to, uh, you know, interact with people from churches that I previously served. That's a positive thing. But when social media uh, commands more of my devotion than the Lord God, I kind of have a problem being able to authentically say that the Lord God is my Lord and my God. Um, and so we went down those those places. Whatever whatever you devote yourself to more than you devote to God, and we talked about marriage could be an idol. We talked that your kids could be an idol, your job could be an idol, you know, consumerism and greed could be an idol. Any of these things could be the things that we make into God that are not by their nature gods. And so well, that was one of the major challenges. Then was you know, can you be a Christian? And yet, be drifting toward idolatry and some of these other things, and the answer is yes, so that was the major challenge uh, at the conclusion of the sermon I, In all um in all it was a very good a very good text for me to study last week um, and it really uh really impacted me and made me stop and think about certain things in my own life, um uh, you know things that maybe I was pursuing or doing, and they're good, they're not inherently bad, they're not sinful, except that. Satan is good at taking things that aren't sinful and tweaking them just enough so that they become sinful because they take our focus off of God. Um, And so I enjoyed it a lot. Um, And I've heard several comments from people that the Lord used it to encourage and challenge them. So um, I'm grateful for that. But um, I'm looking forward to this coming week, kind of following up on that and seeing where we go next. So that's that's where we were this week in Galatians 4, 8 through 11.
0: Cool. So how did you select? That was four verses.
1: Like, how are you selecting what you're doing right now? Well, ultimately, um, with, with Pauline thought, with the way his arguments are structured, you almost either have to take point by point or even sometimes sub point by sub point, or you have to do a holistic overview of the entire argument. Um, and, and so what I have just decided for depth so that we could really get into some of the deeper meaning is going in those shorter. Uh, I never can remember how to say the word appropriately. Pericopes, pericopes, however you want yeah. to say it. OK. Um, and, and, and so I'm just taking those short little sections like that um, and breaking those down. And you, you could totally you could totally preach all of chapter four as one overarching theme and argument and it'd be a great sermon uh and i've done that in the past with sections you know like when i was preaching through the book of joshua i've preached entire chapters as one overarching theme and you can totally do that and do it well but just for this series i felt like i needed to take my time a little bit more and really allow uh the meaning of paul's argument to be fully fleshed out to really breathe in the room Uh, so that we could think through it because i think that's a pretty i think that's pretty awesome that that he's he's comparing these jewish rituals that god gave to these pagan rituals that the galatians used to use and he's basically comparing them to one another and saying they're both uh, idolatry when ripped away from what they're really supposed to do which is point you to god Um, so it doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing it doesn't matter if it's a you know if it's a satanic thing or a Baptist thing, if you're worshiping it instead of God, then Satan has won. Um so yeah, uh really I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It's funny how the ser- the sermons and the series are overlapping. Um because one of the things you even referenced was actually my sermon last week. Um it was that text is what we were going through. But um so are you doing paragraph by paragraph or are you going to like a resource and saying hey this is kind of an outline and i want to choose this selection from a paragraph how are you doing that
1: so when i plan my preaching for the year yeah a lot of times i'll go to i'll go to commentaries and look at the literary structure of the books or the sections that i'm preaching through and that'll be my basic outline that i plan off of for the year so that's the skeleton and then as I get into the sermon series, I get more of a feel for how the flow is actually going. And so I'll deviate a little bit from it then. Um, so it's a little bit of both. It just uh, It's a lot of prayer and just knowing the congregation and the message that I feel like needs to be delivered at the time. And I allow that to, to try to direct me more than anything. Um, but there are some really great resources out there, some, some great commentaries. My, my three go-to's for for that are uh, the Holman set, Holman commentary on the New Testament and Old Testament uh, because they, they've got really they're really easy. like you could put those in the hands of a layperson. And, and they're great commentaries for them to use because they're like teaching commentaries. They break the principles down, yeah, and they do it by points. So there's point two, subpoint a, subpoint B, subpoint C, and they give you main themes and all that. So that's really good. So I look at that and I, I like the um, preaching the word commentary series um, Crossway published with Arkent Hughes uh, okay. providing most of that. And so those are sermons. That's a that's a an expository commentary where it's actually their sermons or their their messages. And so I'll look at that some and see how they approach certain things, certain uh, sections. And a lot of times when I'm preaching more like I am right now, where I'm taking my time through sections. A lot of times my sermons will line up with with what they do in that because um, University Church, where he was they would spend lengths of time in books but not john MacArthur esque lengths of time um so i I line up with them quite a bit and then uh for the deeper exegetical work i really like the zondervan uh exegetical commentary on the new testament i really like it
0: i was just curious because
1: honestly i'm kind of
0: jealous of the four verses that you've been dealing with because this this exodus series has been in larger chunks and one one week got cut out and for different reasons i was like ah rather than just saving it for after the christmas season let's go ahead and finish it so Hmm. anyway i was curious i didn't off the top of my head know if that was if 8 to 11 was a paragraph or how you ended up dividing that up? It,
1: well, it, it is in some in some of the translations. So in the in the uh, Christian Standard Bible, it is a paragraph. It's a full paragraph. Um, but um, in in some of the others, they, they break it. They break the paragraphs a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. So so let's talk about Exodus a little bit. How uh, how did that go this week?
0: Yeah. So it, well, it went okay. Uh, it just it was a huge text, which, uh, like I said, I, I had to basically combine two, what I had planned on doing in two sermons into one. But it turns out it does hang together. Anyway, and it wasn't so much just combining two. I actually just, when I realized that the sermon was going or the series was going to have to be one week shorter, I went back and said, okay, well, where are the natural divisions and where can we recombine? And so this one was... Um, Exodus 1522 which which means it starts after Miriam leaves the women in song after they cross the Red Sea so they've crossed the Red Sea and in 1522 and then uh, all of 16 all of 17 and all of 18 um, it is like the it's like uh, I'm gonna put it as three you probably could do five but it's like three episodes in Israel's life it's like the first challenge after they cross the Red Sea So, you know, the plagues are behind them, the sign, those signs are behind them, the Egyptian army is drowned, they've, they have left, they are now gone, they are now free, and then what's going to happen. And so it's these three stories, where Israel realizes what they don't have. And they just their reaction to look, look what we don't have.
1: Mm.
0: And uh, so. What what the real danger in Israel's life in that moment is when they get thirsty and when they get hungry and then when they get thirsty again, they're like so tempted to turn from the Lord. And the Lord says that he's testing them, but they in turn test God in their grumbling. That kind of the key word in the middle of all that is grumbling and grumbling and grumbling. And they think that they're just going, hey, we're thirsty We're just telling the truth. And God's like, you're grumbling against me. And they're like, we're hungry. And they, they think they're just naming what the truth is. Moses, look what a wreck of our lives you made. And But it's grumbling. The passage is saying, no, they're actually grumbling against the Lord. And so, uh, but not only is this the case, so they realize what they don't have when they get hungry and they get thirsty. But then they end up, they get attacked for the first time by the Amalekites. And then Jethro comes and realizes you guys have no system to know what to do. And so what they realize is they need food and food and water. They need protection and they need teaching. They're just, we're free. This is great. And they get out there and they realize we don't have everything that we need. And so what the Lord's doing is uh, the, in the passage is he's like, I'm testing you to see if you're going to like, like turn towards me. If you're going to turn towards me in each of these areas in um and so as i was preaching through it again this was it was huge which made it feel i wanted to do it in smaller chunks but uh and i kind of talked it through with my wife but it's the way i was sharing that with our church is usually when we think about the things that are in derail our faith we might think about it as something like suffering We we think of it as like some big event, some question somebody asks, some doubt that we can't overcome. And what we realize when we look at at the story of Israel is after the Lord does all of this deliverance for them, the thing that's about to derail their faith is the fact that they need something the next day. They're about to turn because they're thirsty they're about to turn because they're hungry they're about to turn because they're thirsty and the lord has just proven to them that he loves them and that he cares for them more than any people on the face of the earth and they're like but we're hungry that must mean god forgot us that must mean that god brought us out into this wilderness to kill us and so what i was sharing with the church is that that our greatest temptation the greatest threat towards our faith is the, that constant drip, 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 drip of this is what you don't have. And that must mean God does not love me. Mm. And so when we meet that point, this story is calling us along with the people of Israel to look to our provider. The passage kind of shows the Lord is our physical provider. He's walking them through that. One of the things I love in the story is that like, the Lord is like, you are grumbling against me. And so I'm gonna give you food. We would expect him to go you're grumbling against me and i'm not doing anything until you stop but he's like turning the car around yeah like look when you stop grumbling then we'll talk and so the lord just shows himself as gracious towards the people they won't look towards them but he doesn't give up on them and so then the story of the amalekites it's not about moses and aaron or moses arms aren't strong enough and man if he just had stronger arms or if his buddies were to just been a little bit better but like the staff of god and moses inability points us to the fact that it's the lord that's protecting the people not the magic ritual of holding the staff high
1: but it's the lord
0: who is protecting his people and so when we find ourselves attacked we find ourselves surrounded and we don't know what's going to happen this we're called to look to the Lord as our protector because we're going to be tempted and Satan's going to say the Lord's not on duty. He doesn't care. He's not going to care about you. He's not going to do anything. You better take care of this issue. And then then in the story of Jethro giving his advice to Moses, it's really the story because Jethro is pointing and saying, Moses, it's good that you're teaching the people because they need instruction and you're going to have to bring other people along and you're going to have to give them God's words because the people have to have it. And you being the one person they have to come to to get teaching is not going to be good enough. And so it is that that story of Jethro uh, is a story of God as the source of the teaching that they need. And Moses and Jethro and these men are the, the means through which God's word flows to the people, because what they need is instruction in how to live and in right living and in what God's will is and these kind of things. And so in each of these areas, this this store, the first story of Israel, is they realize all the stuff they don't have, and the Lord shows himself again as the provider of each of them. Mm-hmm. And so we're stuff. so we are called to the and we just see so much in the Bible about um those same things echoed over and over and over. Matthew 6, where Jesus is like, the Lord feeds the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the fields. Isn't he going to take care of you? You know. When it comes to protection, we see you know, Isaiah 36, one of my favorite passages, where Sennacherib tells Hezekiah, or tells the people, don't let the Hezekiah mislead you that the Lord will protect you. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. what Satan loves to do, is say the Lord won't protect you, the Lord won't provide. And so we are called as a people to go, you know what, this is my great temptation. And the answer is to look to
1: the Lord. Yeah, and I think one of the things that a lot of people miss when they're going through that section of Exodus is that the people still don't know God. You know, um, remember, there is no Bible. Moses hasn't written it yet. And so as you're following the events of Exodus, you know, Exodus 20 is that magic moment where until that point, God has been introducing himself by his works. And, uh, And then he begins to introduce himself by his ways. And so these people are still learning who God is, um, and I think that that speaks volumes to us today because we don't have all of our theology out either. And when we don't know everything, we need to recognize that God God's grace is enough to cover what we don't know, what we don't have. If we'll just look to Him instead and focus on, and I think going back to uh, you know back to uh, the attack and Moses having to stand with his arms raised. Um, you know, the leaders had to stay focused on the essential thing. You know, was the battle important? Yes, but the essential thing was keeping God first and foremost, because it didn't matter if they sent every man they had into battle; only God could win that battle for them. Um, and so, I think that there's there's some good stuff there that we need to remember in our modern context. And it sounds like you did a great job. I mean, it's a large section, but as with as with most uh, parts of the Bible there are those unifying themes. There's that major dominant structure, that major dominant theme that overarches it. And those are not disconnected events in the history of, of Israel leaving Egypt. Those are connected events in which God is demonstrating to them who he is and how he cares um, in spite of their flaws and failures. So I think you did, it sounds like you did a really good job of Finding that theme and making sure everything stayed on that theme, and communicating that in a very practical way uh, for us to apply in the year 2021.
0: Yeah, I, as much as I have like longing for a shorter text, um, I it's been really fun to in these weeks cover these things and see these themes show up and see what's happening here, and go, you know what, I might be leaving out a detail that I, I think is really cool, but um, those details don't point to a different point, like, it's not like, well, I'm, I'm, there's big emphasis here that I'm just having to blow past, like, hey, here's the emphasis of the book of Exodus, this, I actually have a sticky note here on my desk, that reminds me, This is these are the themes of Exodus and everything in this is going back to these points. Like everything is moving in this direction. And so even so, you know, there's some really cool stuff that's going on in the manna section uh, that I didn't get to like dig into that specific detail, but those details were supporting the point that the details I did get to talk about pointed to. So I'm actually super grateful for the chance to have gone through this because. I told Emma, I was like, I'm not sure I've ever heard a series through the book of Exodus. I was like, I can remember series from Genesis. You know, life of Abraham, life of Joseph, like series through the book of Genesis. You know, beginnings, you know, at Genesis 1 through 11. And I'm like, I remember hearing stories, but it's been a a good chance for me to resolve some of the the details of what's happening in the book of Exodus. Like, how does Moses holding the staff up relate to the rest of the context? Like, what does this have to do with it? You know, Andrew Peterson has a song about his, somebody holding up his arms. And I'm like, is that what the, that's not the point. Uh, I, I actually like Andrew Peterson, so it sounds like I'm ripping on him right now. But like somebody pulls out this point that like we all need an Aaron who's going to help us hold our hands high. And I'm like, this has been a chance to go. Wait, in its context, the point is not Aaron supporting Moses. It's the fact that the Lord was pr- fighting for Israel. And Moses was doing something totally like that didn't actually win the battle. But it was pointing to the fact that the Lord was winning the battle for them. And yeah. so even that was Aaron's, Aaron's role in a sense, the same way that it was Aaron's role in Egypt. They didn't cause the plagues. They were just the ones pointing to the Lord is doing this. Yeah. And hear, hear the word of the Lord.
1: So See, I love that. I, I love. So when I'm preaching like I am right now in these very small little snippets you can get so bogged down in minutia that it doesn't feel like you're preaching a very powerful point. Um, and so you have to keep fresh in that perspective. And when you're preaching those large chunks of scripture, um, you have to be uh, careful that you don't stray from the theme or what it's really about. Uh, and I love that. Like one of my favorite, so what really helped me with that the most was uh, Votie preaching a series of sermons on Joseph and the gospel of many colors. Okay. There's actually a book that he wrote called that Joseph and the gospel of many colors. Um, and then, and, and so that's when I really got turned on to expository preaching and understanding, you know, how everything kind of fits together. And then I read a book uh, a few years ago, just kind of for fun. Um, and it, it was awesome. It was, um, I want to say El Scott Kellum wrote it. Um, it's called um, "Preaching the Farewell Discourse," and basically, what it is um, is he takes that section of the farewell discourse and breaks it down. Uh, yeah, El Scott Kellum uh, from John thirteen thirty one through seventeen twenty six, and he breaks down how that's really one long. Uh, discourse with overarching themes that wind and weave through that that, that John is really trying to uh, trying to drive home a point, and that was a really good book. Um, Interesting. Which just just a little uh, a side note, you know, when people talk about Joseph in the Book of Genesis, one of the things that I noticed a few years ago that has completely and radically changed Joseph in my mind is uh let me see if i can find exactly how it's worded uh so when is it genesis 40 this is joseph's story start oh i'm too far 30 30 30 30 30. 30. Uh, where's it at? Where's it at? So this this just this little tidbit just kind of changed changed the way I read this. Um
0: where is it at what book are you looking at
1: genesis Genesis. oh you're looking at the bible (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah these these are handy for preachers yeah basically what i'm looking for is joseph's the whole story of joseph is told in the context of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay Joseph joseph 30 Genesis 37, uh, verses 1 and 2. And this is where, you know, even in my Bible right here, the uh, the heading says Joseph's dreams, right? All right, listen to how this section starts. This is okay. bef- before this in, in 36, it's uh, Esau's family and the rulers of Edom. Uh, and so this is where the, the Jacob, Joseph, Judah, all of that really begins to play out. Uh, Genesis thirty-seven, one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. It's not about Joseph. It's about jo- it's about Jacob, and it's about Joseph. It's about Judah and Tamar. It's about it's a, it's about Jacob getting to Egypt and to the land of Goshen. And it's not so much about Joseph as much as we think it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so that, that just, that kind of radically changed how I read through that, uh, you know, until you get to, you know, chapter 50, and they're dead, and, uh, you know, Jacob's dead, and the brothers come, it's like, uh, dad said not to kill us. Yeah. And, uh, you know.
0: Well, I hadn't, I hadn't necessarily, like, noticed one, but I, from what you described there, it sounds like that would be the word toledote which is what genesis is organized around these are the generations these are the generations generations. these are generations and so uh, one of the things i love i mean because my name is joseph and growing up i heard it preached and my own reaction would be joseph is the hero because joseph was good enough and that's you know like be joseph be awesome and coming to realize that there there are broken parts of Joseph's story. And the, the main yeah. theme in Joseph's story is the Lord was with Joseph, but the promise was with Judah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The promise
0: yeah. was with Judah. And that means it's all by grace. Whatever role you play is by grace. It is God, it is up to God and it is God's work. And He's doing it from first to last.
1: You know, I, I love um, when you start when you start walking through that, Bodhi Baccom put it this way. He said, when we teach our kids that the the point of the end of Genesis is to go from the pit to the palace. saying what we're telling them is what your emphasis is on is how is it his success when we preach that is defined as a pagan name in a pagan land with pagan power and pagan gold and a pagan wife and pagan kids. he's not wrong not on that anyways um so i thought man that's that's some good stuff um, yeah yeah that is neither in exodus nor galatians
0: yeah but. so anyway so this uh this i've loved this exodus it's been awesome yeah. i i it takes me all over the bible but every place i've seen in the bible seem to be pointing back to this anyway and uh, even this week, I'm excited as Hebrews 19 and 20 point to the Hebrews 8. It's like, from a Christian perspective, this this Exodus account is incomplete. Uh, are you familiar with Graham Goldsworthy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that idea that at every moment in the Old Testament, where like things are going well, and it's like this is it we've left Egypt, we're free, this is gonna be perfect. And then they get hungry, boom, that's no, like, you know, and then they get the law. And it's just this, um, I, love what I, I love what we see in it, where we learn about God and his character and how he relates to his people and these things. But like the book of Exodus makes me long for Christ. And so I feel like it's a really good study leading into Christmas um, because Exodus, I think, shows Israel and our bankruptcy.
1: Um, you, you can get to the better Moses. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Anyway, so, OK, so I have a question. This, we've been doing this six weeks and this is our sixth podcast. What is a sermon? Okay, really.
1: That's a great question. Um, you How know, many classes um, have
0: you had that discussion?
1: Uh, a bunch. A bunch. Um, and, you know, um, so a sermon, the way I would describe it to people in my own vernacular, and, and, so in, and kind of my own way of putting it is that the word of God is given to us to reveal God because he is the God who wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself to us and what he is revealing through scripture kind of goes back to Exodus. He's revealing his words and his, his work. He's revealing his ways and his nature. He's revealing who he is and what he designed and what he desires for us. And so if you go back to, um, to preaching in the new testament what it, what is it that they preached so um in the gospels and even in paul and peter uh in their writings in the new testament uh if you go back and you look well what was it that jesus preached jesus preached the kingdom so it was uh it was a it was a message about the good news of the kingdom so it's not just good news about getting saved it's good news about God reigning, and so uh, George Eldon Ladd, who's a New Testament theologian, one of my one of my favorites, he he wrote a book on that. And basically, his his whole definition is that the kingdom of God is the reign of God. That's that's what we're talking about. And so even when you're praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom comes, Thy will be done. What we're praying is that God would reign in His creation. Here in the physical world, just as he reigns over all creation, eternally and sovereignly. Um, and so what a sermon is, it's its a declaration by a messenger of God. To a people he's been sent to, um, to be a herald of the kingdom and the king. So that's that's the, the big scope of what the sermon is, um, and so in that, you know, a sermon, you know, one of the things that we would say is that a sermon is not a sermon until it's been preached. Um, so it, it there has to be that declaration aspect of it. There has to be the um, if, if I am declaring a message, then I have to actually declare the message to people. So there has to be that preaching event, that moment of preaching. Um, it has to be. Um, it has to carry an impact and an importance. It can't just be a running commentary on scripture, but there has to be uh, a peeling back the layers, uh, revealing the eternal truth at the at the center of it, and then uh, bringing that truth to bear in the lives of, of the hearers so that they can apply that truth. So there has to be some sort of an applicational aspect of it, a response aspect of it. And so you you begin to put those things together. And in in my own uh, kind of my own vernacular, the way I describe it is the word of God is a lamp and a light in that God has given us his word to show us his way and to help us get from where we are to where he desires us to be. Um, And so the scripture, no matter what scripture you're in, no matter what text you're in, the goal of that is to move us uh, in a Christward direction to help us take our next step in that Christward journey. Um, and so to me, that's, that's the way I would describe, um, I would describe a sermon, a sermon is, um, someone who has been sent by the Lord, not because they know all the answers, but because they have a message from the one who has written the word on how we all need to come together and move in that Christward direction.
0: I mean, I'm taking a bunch of notes. Uh, yeah, go for it. And do you teach? Uh, you teach some courses? Is this a part? Mm-hmm. Of this discussion It's like, what is the sermon?
1: Yeah, I I kind of work in the way I I teach. Uh, the main course that I teach is kind of an intro to expository preaching, and so in that we're trying to cover a lot of different things. So I don't spend a lot of time just saying, okay, what is a sermon? This that, and the other. So the way I lay it out is. In um, a way that kind of marries the expository and the exegetical aspects of preaching, and so I use a roadmap, you know. So, um, uh, so I, I kind of lay out what our goal is as preachers is to take the word of God and declare the word of God with an authoritative message to help people move in a Christward direction. And so, in that way, I tell uh, the the kind of the illustration that I use, and it's not. Um, it's not unique to me. Other people in hermeneutics use a similar uh, illustration, but the way I kind, of, I kind of look at it, it's like a map, like reading a map. So the Word of God is a lamp and a light. It's our map. It's, it's given there to help lead, guide, and direct us, to reveal who God is and what God desires and, uh, and, and what God uh, is accomplishing and will accomplish. And so uh, when, I, when I walk through that, then I'll say, okay, the first thing you have to do when you get a map is you need to familiarize yourselves contextually with that map so what is that a map of Um, and so you are kind of looking at the context here you're trying to get some of the things and you say oh it it turns like this and oh okay so now i see this is a map of morgan county illinois Um, okay so now you familiarize yourself as to who what when where why okay the next thing you want to do is you want to orient yourself theologically and if you're looking at that then you want to find north because God is true north, and so we're going to orient ourselves as we're reading through that. We want to say, okay, what does this section of scripture? Because a map of Morgan County, it is a whole map, right? So Galatians four eight through eleven, that's a whole map. There's there's a journey there for me to take in a Christ direction, but it's not it's not every map. It's not the entire map, but it is a whole map in and of itself. Exodus fifteen through eighteen, that's a map. And actually, that's a that's a regional map. You know, that's that's not Morgan County. That's like Illinois. That's the, it's the whole state. But it's not the whole map of the United States, um, not even, the you know, not even the whole map of the Midwest. And, and so you have to orient yourself to the map that you're dealing with that week. And so the question that I always want to ask myself when I'm orienting myself to the eternal truth in that, what does it reveal by God? What does it reveal about man? What does it reveal about the relationship between the two? Um, and so that's how I'm orienting myself theologically uh, to that. And so that's kind of the process I walk through. The points that I preach is what uh, I, I would call the coordination. You know, if, if I'm if I'm here, I want to identify where I am and I want to identify the motivating thrust and the overarching theme Um And and try to figure out, okay, where is this taking me? What's the point of this map? This map that I'm holding that I'm staying right now, where is it trying to take me? And and that's you know, the theme thought and the thrust. So the theme is if you're looking at it bridging a gap, the theme is bridging that whole thing. And the thoughts are the supports that are holding that bridge up and the thrust is that roadbed that's gonna move you from one side to the other. That's the the so what of that sermon. Um, And so that, that is the sermon. The sermon is, there's this, this map, this roadmap, whether it's Galatians 4, 8 through 11, or Exodus 15 through 18, or, uh, you know, Psalm, you know, 119, 1 through 8, you know, whatever you're preaching, that's your map you're dealing with that week. And you don't have all the answers. You're just holding the map. And God has said, go give people directions. Yeah, here's, here's the message. And so that's that's kind of how i would how I would uh in a very non simple way in my own vernacular tell people what a sermon is
0: yeah i th- I actually didn't realize how big of a deal until you were just talking just now that answer to what a sermon is would be um, mm-hmm. because i mean i, I mean I, I kind of thought it was important, but like when you were giving your answer, I was like that is not how a lot of people see preaching right that's yeah. um and so a technique when the de- slapped on top of a different definition comes with a totally different um result i i actually was in a seminar one time and the leader said something and he he put something in a certain way that i was like that is incredibly helpful i took it and began applying it to my preaching And was later talking to a mutual friend and he goes, that is absolutely not what he meant by that. (laughs) He was like, I worked with him for a number of years and you two understand preaching completely differently. Oh, wow. And so the tool that you use and applied to expository preaching is not what he doesn't, he's not doing expository preaching. And so he was taking that same tool and doing something different with it than what Mm. you were doing with it. And so the, anyway, so that defi- So this makes me go, oh, the definition of what is a sermon is incredibly important uh, because I would put it, um, I actually like the way you use the word declare, but I've for a long time said at the end of a sermon, both the preacher and the, the uh, listeners should be able to say, thus says the Lord. Mm, yeah, like at the end of it, because what a sermon really is, is it's a man taking God's word and applying it directly to the people in the room. And we do record them. So it's on a podcast and you can be but like, but a sermon should be, we are actually taking this and then explaining and applying it to the people in the room, declaring yeah. it to them. That's where that, where I use that, where that thus says the Lord comes in for me um, yeah. because it's not, Hey, this is what's on my heart this week. Uh, although it should be on my heart. I hope it is, but like, it doesn't come from me it's not helpful tips for living it's not here's my persuasion here let me say something to impress you or somehow make your life better but to say this is a, these 66 books of the bible are god's word and we want to explain and apply it in such a way that at the end of it we all agree that this is what god says and how it applies to us so that's how i would start to define a sermon i haven't said i haven't obviously thought about it on as deep a deeper level as you have there
1: but uh well and and the thing about it is um you know when you start talking about preaching that's a very colloquial word i mean it can mean different things different people at different times you know even one of my wife's favorite things is if you've ever watched the old uh disney robin hood with the fox and all that yeah uh, the sheriff of Nottingham gets onto Friar Tuck and says, "Save the sermon for Sunday," you know, just because Friar Tuck was getting on to him about something. Uh-huh. And so my my wife likes to tell me to save the sermon for Sunday if I start talking too much about certain things. That's fine. Um, but you know, our culture uses the word sermon. They use the idea of preaching, and a lot of times it carries a negative connotation because it's, it's almost you're preaching at somebody. You're browbeating them. You're talking down to them. And, and discipleship, one of the things that we adopted a few years ago, is, and preaching is a form of discipleship, um, one of the things we, we, uh, we kind of adopted to try to help people understand discipleship is that um, discipleship is, is it's not someone who knows all of the answers giving the answers to people that's that's not how you're discipled you're discipled because you're going through life in the same direction and that's that's where we picked up the language of a christ for direction because um i'm not preaching as someone who knows all the answers i'm preaching with someone as someone who uh, the language that that we would use in one of the doctoral programs i was in uh, would be the burden of the message, the burden of the truth, the so what of the message. If you get in the pulpit and you don't have a burden that you have to unbear in front of the people, you don't have a sermon. Um, you, you've got a Ted talk or you've got an opinion or you've got a commentary on culture or something, but the unburdening of that load on your heart to the people that you love and you care for, you serve and you minister, that's the sermon. and so preaching is discipleship in that we're discipling people. We're showing them uh, not only the truth of God's word, but every time you open your mouth in the pulpit, you're teaching people how you read the Bible, how you apply the Bible, how you study the Bible, how how you approach the Bible, how you handle the Bible. So it's a form of discipleship. Uh, John Piper's got a book called Expository Exaltation and his whole point of that uh, as you would assume with john piper is preaching as worship you know that we as preachers we are the primary worshipers in that preaching event in that moment and um, and so we're we're not only we're not only opening the word and discipling these people but we're also worshiping before the people as we open the word and then obviously you know there's there's an element of preaching that's evangelistic and so you're evangelizing people you are uh, preaching for change you are preaching uh for a response you're you're preaching for that kind of that acts to moment when peter finishes preaching and they say what shall we do you know that's what yeah. you're preaching for and and so i mean it, it's it's kind of a cop-out but you start talking about oh well, what is a sermon well a sermon is you know it's it's every facet that the uh, rick warren would talk about it is worship it is fellowship it is evangelism it is discipleship uh it is ministry you're you're ministering to people who maybe they're not being discipled by the message maybe they're not being evangelistically um ministered to by the message but they're being ministered to in another way in that they're um they're receiving comfort from god's word and and that they can trust his promises and and they're they're being healed because of the truth of god's word um so so preaching and and the sermon are all of those things it is it's a more complex issue than a lot of people think it is i think you you know you're just you're just talking for 30 minutes
0: no yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. well that leads me to my follow-up question how how do you see preaching fitting into the life of the church yeah. and into the life, i'll follow it up within into the life of an individual believer but let's do church first
1: Yeah. So um, based off what I just said, um, every time I preach, I'm preaching. I think we've talked about this in the past, but I'll I'll cover it again. I'm preaching for change. I'm preaching for life change. And the way I approach that is I say maybe God is convincing somebody of salvation. Uh, Maybe God is convicting somebody of sin in their life. Maybe God is challenging somebody to take the next step. Maybe God is comforting somebody uh, somebody with His word, but each and every person should be changed in some way, shape, form, or fashion, by the preaching of God's word. Um, and the reason and the reason that we should be changed is because every one of us, when we are encountered by God's Word, should be uh, should be motivated to take the next steps in that Christward direction. Uh, in some way e- even if you've got a pitiful preacher who who stutters and stumbles all over themselves and they can't communicate and they can if they've opened god's word and they're faithful to god's word there should be something there because god can use his word even when i am uh, not the best tool to, to communicate to you so um so in the church for us In in our in our tradition, and this isn't the the case for all traditions, but we hold preaching as kind of the central act of worship on a Sunday morning. Um, You know, we you know, in the Baptist church, we'll we'll sing, we'll pass the offering plate, we'll do all of those things. But the greatest majority of the typical evangelical and especially Baptist worship service is dedicated to the preaching of God's word. So on, on a typical Sunday morning, I would say that's the importance of the sermon to the church. Is uh, is that it's that it's that primary means of each of those things in the life of the congregation. Now, obviously... For our for our methodology of ministry at Lincoln Avenue, my methodology, uh, you know, some some churches have a mantra that's called uh, they want to win the weekend. And what that basically means is they they consider it a win. They, they've scored a point if they've gotten you there on a Sunday morning. And that's their goal is to get you there on Sunday morning. And if they can get you there next Sunday morning, they've got another point. And you know, they get you there the next Sunday morning, they get, get another point. That's not, that's not the game we're playing. That's not the methodology that we have. Because preaching is important. But for me, the win is community. And so it's not just getting some person to come sit in a sanctuary and listen to me preach for a week. It's for me to preach consistently the word of God so that the word of God is chiseling away and shaping this person's life in the community of faith. So that they have brothers and sisters of christ that uh, are concerned for them and compassionate toward them and that they are concerned for and compassionate toward And, and so they're doing life together encouraging one another strengthening one another crying with one another rejoicing with one another and so we really place a lot of emphasis on our sunday school classes as small groups because if you're just sitting in the sanctuary listening to somebody preach it's fantastic it's wonderful but real maturity is going to come from living life with other believers because that's how God has designed us. He's designed us to be an ecclesia. He's, he's designed us to be a body. He's designed us to be a people. You know, he, he could have just saved Moses, but he sent Moses back for a people. And the reason that he's drawing them out of Egypt, he could have left them in Egypt. But he says, I'm drawing you out of Egypt because I want to take you out here so that you can be my people and I can be your god and that doesn't change that's still in peter a nation a royal priesthood you know that's that's what we're looking for and preaching is the kingdom and so i think we miss the boat a lot of times when our preaching focuses on saving us from something instead of really highlighting that we're being saved to something and so that's something that in my preaching that i really try to highlight is um you, you know, yeah, you're being saved from your sins, but you're being saved to salvation. You're, you're being saved from your past, but you're being saved to eternity. You're being saved uh, from failure, but you're being saved to uh, the kingdom. I really want people to understand that, you know, it's not just about escaping hell, but it's about living in the kingdom, even in this fallen world. Um, that may be more than you're after tonight. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, no. I was I was curious my because um, the way I see preaching it fitting into the life of the church and into the life of a believer is I believe that God's spirit uses God's word to grow God's people over time. Mm-hmm. And that goes for everything from the large context that the whole church gathered in a service to Sunday school.
1: You might want to rephrase that as in God's time so that it all it's all, you know, God's, God's word, God's people.
0: Oh, in God's, God's time. time. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so I can alliterate and just, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, being a good Baptist. So, well, and the reason <laughs> I was saying over time is because that's where patience comes in is like, and this goes, whether it's in the life of an individual, you know, one person, nobody else in their family is a Christian, but God's spirit uses God's word to grow them. And over his time and with patience. But that's the same thing for a, a Sunday school class. I'm uh, leading a class training teachers right now, and that's what we're talking through is that, that God's Spirit uses God's word through prayer to grow people over time. And that, I mean, that's what we do. We, we take God's word, we pray for, for each other, um, uh, and we believe that he's using us to help each other grow but we use patience while we do it because that's what God does. Uh, And this study is really using Colossians to kind of draw those points out. But, but that's ultimately what we also want to do in our Sunday service is say, you know what, if God's word is what it says it is, why would we spend our time on anything else? If, if God's word in second Timothy says that the word of God is able to make you fully mature, then like, why would we think that we need something else that's going to make his people fully mature? And so In one sense, Sunday morning is a model for Sunday school and an individual for a small group and an individual. But it's also done in a slightly different context, but it's still saying, you know what? God's spirit uses God's word to grow his people over time. And so in the life of the church, this is what else are we going to think is going to grow God's people? And so that's why the preaching has a bigger focus than the music does. Worship and musical worship is important, and we should do that. You know, giving is important. Prayer is important. Um, But all of those things are like coming kind of under the reality and done in the context of the God who created the world by saying, let there be light, does the new creation as his word goes forth to. And so then I would say that in the life of a believer, the place that a sermon takes is is like I want to need and need to regularly be hearing the preaching of God's word that says, "Let there be light in Job." Mm. Like like I regularly like what is going to be the thing that's going to make me fully mature in Christ, and it's going to be the preaching of God's word because He's given it to His people. And so, in my life, preaching is pretty important. As I choose a church, as I invest in a church, going. You know, as I figure out how do I support the the ministry of the church, well, what people in our church need and what I need is is God's word, and so we're gonna like not compromise on that in the life of a believer. So that's you know, in the life of my kids, it's important that they hear good godly preaching from the from God's word.
1: Um, you know, there was a uh, a Lifeway study on that not too long ago about the importance of the preacher in the churches people picked and attended yeah it's like 70 percent yeah it was it's high yeah yeah um
0: and and that's on the level of people choosing a church is the thing you know like 70 people 70 percent of people i think said that the sermon is the most important thing um but you're you said some things i totally agree with like one of the reasons the sermon is so important is because it forms the church and their ability to do evangelism I share the gospel in the same way in every sermon because I want our people to so get that gospel presentation down that when the time comes, it bubbles up with them going, yeah, I know it front and back. Like I've got that down and I know how that applies.
1: Because you're preaching, because you're preaching, it's not just about you preaching a sermon. It's about that consistency week in and week out being in the word the same way. You're teaching people not just that sermon, but you're you're teaching them how you engage Scripture and how your theology is formed and and what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. Um, and so preaching, yeah, that's it, 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 people don't don't think about it, but once you start down the rabbit hole, there's a reason th- th- there's a reason reformers place such emphasis on on preaching of God's word, uh, and that's because it is so powerful and transformative in the life of the church and in the life of each individual believer
0: yeah and one of my dreams we haven't had we should probably have this discussion maybe maybe we'll have time this season um but i uh i hold to a, a pretty high kind of christocentric gospel like driven sanctification model mm-hmm and one of like one of the realities when I preach is I'm like, how does this sermon point me to Christ? But how does Christ fulfill the law for me, setting me free to then obey the law in a way I couldn't do before? And I often take, I mean, I believe that all Scripture points us in that direction anyway. But one of the reasons that I want to point it to Christ in every sermon is not just because there are people in the room that need to hear good news this week because they've been beaten up by their own sin and their own need for our, our savior. But also because I'm like, I want the people who hear this preaching week in and week out to so get that deep down in their soul that when they're in a situation and somebody else needs to hear it, they don't go, man, I wish you knew my pastor. He'd know right the, the right thing to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I want them to be like, I want them to when their spouse is beaten up with despair and wondering, I'm a, just, I, I'm a bad mom i can never get this right where is like what am i going to do the, the husband goes you know what and from his own heart he can say but christ lived the life that you should live as a mom and died the death that you should die because of your sin as a mom and was raised to life so that you can have his record and his identity and his power like that's my dream in a sermon in, over a season is, yeah. you know what, I'm going to say that to you that applies to your heart. But my dream for that husband and father is to go, I dream of the day that you can say that to your own dad when he needs to hear it. You know, yeah. you can say that to a coworker when it comes, because preaching is not just about what can I do to you, you know, but how can we train you and equip you for the ministry God has called you to through preaching. Yeah. So,
1: I, and I think that's in line with Ephesians 4.
0: So, Yeah, I took a bunch of notes on your definition of preaching. I'm like, like, honestly, that's a great, it's a great definition, but it's also like a really important discussion to come back to. Like, what exactly are we doing here? Because it can be easy, even for me, we're doing a podcast about preaching. But, and so to be like, oh, I've got this down, but to go, you know what? I wonder if sometimes I get really discouraged because I'm functionally moving to a different definition of preaching. Mm, Yeah, that's a good thought. And if I need to, like, go, you know what, I'm evaluating this not based on any any human evaluation, but it, like, if this is what God has called me to do, is to open his word as a lamp and a light to the people, did I do that today?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that actually usually, well, especially... When I'm walking through the focus method, because sometimes if I don't have a particularly long message written for that day, I'll go through that whole introductory matter of the familiarize, orient, coordinate, um, and then it's undertake and then share. Or That's the focus method that I work, work through. And if I do that, if I'm taking the time to do that, that's exactly what we'll say. We'll see. We believe that God's word is a lamp and a light. And so it's given to us to help us move from where we are to where God desires us to be to help us do that. And so here are the steps that this text is leading us on today. And so then I'll introduce the integrating thought, you know, three, three ways God works in the life of his people. And then the first way is this, we'll read scriptures and, you know, um, so I will, I will literally say that many times because that's one of my guiding principles.
0: That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, I, uh, I appreciate it, man. This discussion is always good for me. And uh, so
1: I, sharp, I almost sharpened. preached about preaching today.
0: Yeah, sharp sharpened by a definition of preaching uh, tonight. So I really appreciate well, hey, that. Hey, hey,
1: you shared some good stuff there too, man. I think it's good. I I like that. I, the way you said that, the you know, have I changed my functional definition of preaching? I that's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought.
0: Yeah. Well, I always. I can theoretically say the right things, but it's functionally, do I, uh, do I do I actually believe it? One of uh, one of my first college professors would always say, "People may not live what they profess, but they will mm-hmm. always live what they believe." And That's so, like being able to go, you know what is this theory for me? Or is this function like? Is this what I really like down to the gut level? It was years before I even
1: understood what that professor was saying with that. But uh, anyway. Glad he planted that seed. Though. Yeah. So um, yeah. So well, this is an
0: awesome discussion. And yeah. Yeah. I was, and again, we went close to an hour or so, but it's always worth it. So. Yeah. Well, and thanks, my wife, man. my wife told me she really enjoyed the last podcast. She hasn't to listened to all of them. Uh, um, but she was, uh, she was like, when am I going to find time to listen to a 50 minute podcast? But she, she was like, that last one was
1: really fun. So, well, awesome. I've enjoyed this one. I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed this topic this week. So glad you Very came cool. up with those questions. Awesome. We'll talk to you later. All right, man. Have a good one.
0: Welcome to the too long didn't read preaching edition podcast. I'm Joe Bradosevic, pastor of Manchester Baptist Church in Manchester, Illinois. And with me is Jeremy Byrd, pastor of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Illinois. On this podcast, we discuss what we preach this week. You're going to get two summaries of uh, our sermons and a peek behind the scenes at what we're thinking about as we preach. Thanks for joining us.